Welcome to episode three of the Common Good, NJ21 United's podcast. On this episode, we're talking ESP power, which means we're talking about what's going on with our education support professionals around the state. We'll hear first from Christy Kozar, who's local president of one of the largest ESP locals in New Jersey, and also one of the NJ21 United organizers. She's going to talk about the ESP job justice bills that have been languishing in the New Jersey legislature for uh, low these 12 years now. After that, we'll talk to John McEntee, local president of the Patterson Education Association. Uh, he's at the helm of a local that's currently fighting off a privatization effort, uh, trying to save the jobs of 700 ESPs in their local. Before we begin, an important announcement. On March 14th, NJ21 United is going to be sponsoring a statewide rank-and-file summit for all NJEA members, all rank-and-file members. Um, this is an event to get everyone in the same room talking about how do we respond to path to progress? How do we respond to privatization? How do we respond to the lack of Chapter 78 relief and the lack of school funding around the state? Um, this is an important conversation, and we're going to leave with a plan about how to deal with this and what we do going forward. So please join us. You can sign up on our website and, and be part of that. Um, with that being said, welcome to Episode 3 of The Common Good. I get asked a lot what that uh, theme song music is, so I guess you should tell everyone. That's uh, Bella Ciao, uh, which is uh, a song from World War II. It was the song of the Italian partisans um, who fought against the Nazis and the fascists in World War II. Uh, my grandfather fought in World War II, and, and I like to think that he might have heard that song. Uh, it's become just a, a left-wing song of, of resistance and people power ever since and seems appropriate for what we're doing here. So tonight we are talking to Christy Kozar first. Christy, can you go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Yes, certainly. My name's Christy Kozar. I live and work in Washington Township, and I am the president of one of the larger ESP locals in the state. And also a member of NJ21 United, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, an NJA member, NJ21 United. Christy is one of our, uh, one of our many organizers. Uh, so Christy is here with us to talk about the ESP job justice bills, which are bills that have been around for quite some time uh, and have still not passed. And the, the purpose to, of what we're talking about here is to talk about how the Norcross machine and the legislative dysfunction of our state are in the way here. This is a, an example, a lesson in how that's happening. So Christy, tell us, what are the ESP job justice bills? All right. Well, there are there are two bills that have been around in the legislature um, for over 12 years now. Um, the bills are vital for ESPs. Uh, and, and actually, uh, there are two pieces of legislation that wouldn't cost the state or districts a penny. But what it would do, it would give our support staff uh, the basic job protections that most other professions uh, offer their employees. Um, they're common sense bills and uh, it's time that dignity and morale was returned to our support staff. Um, one of the bills concerns arbitration for non-teaching school staff because um, currently employees uh, can dismiss, uh, employers, I beg your pardon, can dismiss employees uh, for any reason without warning. Um, that means that uh, without having to, to establish just cause for termination or anything, um, we're actually at will employees. Um, this tends to be uh, uh, common for the lower paid employees working in support staff 
services, you know, power professionals, food service workers, bus drivers, custodian maintenance. Um, it's also, um, I feel that this is, it's an injustice that's compounded uh, because it also creates an, an, an inequality of bargaining power. Uh, it's sometimes uh, no, negotiations are referred to as collective begging as opposed to collective bargaining when you're an ESP because um, you constantly uh, under, feel that you're under the threat of, of losing your job. Um, the second bill uh, would um, have ensured uh, that support staff positions uh, couldn't be privatised during the length of a contract. Uh, we have had um, an instant where uh, we've had an ESP local that was been bargaining with a, with a board of education and they've signed their contract and agreed um, on a Monday and on Tuesday morning they've come in and they've outsourced the paraprofessionals. Um, this second piece of legislation would have given our associations 90 days notice uh, from a board of education for their intent to privatise. So that actually gives members uh, and unions the time and the opportunity to work together, um, sit down at the table with the administration to possibly come up with options to save the ESP positions. Um, and obviously um, that would help districts maintain con continuity for our students. And you know, our ESPs that are in the classroom are usually in there to help our special education community. So continuity for most of them is really important. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that um, there's a problem all over the state with districts not being able to staff their ESP positions. And even when they can staff them when they're out sick or there's a gap, they can't get subs for them. So there's a lot of you know discontinuity going on with, with ESP positions in classrooms that this would go a long way toward, towards helping with. So you said these bills have been around for about 12 years. How close have they gotten to passing? Well, they, they were very pretty close last, last session. Um, we went all the way up to the wire on the 14th of January, fingers crossed. Um, unfortunately, they, they, weren't, they were pushed through the Senate. Um, down here in South Jersey, it's usually the, the, the machine that uh, takes control over that kind of thing. So you're fighting that as well. So um, it, to us, then, then they're no-brainers. And so I know you were really involved with trying to pressure Senator Fred Madden, who's down here in South Jersey, to uh, move the bill out of his committee and to vote for the bill. So tell us about everything you were up to with that. Right. Yeah, it's, it's been an ongoing battle with uh, Senator Madden. Um, we had some pop-up rallies um, during the last school year where we would uh, just turn up out of the blue with signs for an hour or so and try and persuade him to um, look on us favorably and help to push this bill. Um, he hadn't signed on to the legislation and neither had either of the two legislators in his office. So um, we started a, a, a line of people going in, three or four people a day, um, asking if he would support the bill and asking why they hadn't. Um, they would write emails, they would call. Um, the GCEA uh, even had held a rally there one day. We had some of our members there and then they, uh, they came over and helped us make a stand. Um, we did actually get a meeting with him at one point. Um, we all sat around the table, we listened to him explain, you know, the process of a bill. And he, he seemed in favor. He said he was going to um, talk to one of uh, the other legislators who'd actually posted the bill uh, to find out where, where it was in, in the legislate, in legislation and, you know, try and get it pushed through and promise to, um, you know, help us 
get this dealt with. So, you know, time ticked on and nothing happened and nothing happened. So we, we carried on. We, we had several rallies um, outside his office. Uh, we had two in one week just before Christmas. Um, and he got really upset because we had blasted social media with the fact that he, um, he currently receives three uh, incomes. So I think he's up to about a quarter of a million dollars um, in earnings per year from his pension and, and other things. Um, and yet we can't get a simple free le you know, legislation through, through the system. So um, he got um, one of his aides to offer uh, another meeting with him. So a couple of us went in um, and he listened and he said he was upset that we'd caused a lot of trouble and um, promised that he would sponsor the bills and help to get them passed. And he asked, he said that to me as he shook my hand and looked me in the eye. Um, obviously nothing was done. So um, it's difficult down here to get anything passed. Obviously um, Sweeney's uh, strings from his puppet strings, you know, reach far and I'm sure Norcross has a little hand in it somewhere. Uh, we're still back at, Senator Madden's office because now the two bills, well, one bill is back in the legislature and we have to get it back through the assembly. So it's, a, it's an ongoing battle here. Do you think Fred Madden had any intention of actually moving this bill? Do you think Absolutely. he was told later not to? What do you think happened? I, I don't think so. I think he was just basically trying to get us out of his office and, and quiet us down a bit with promise, empty promises. Um, we've been here now too many times. Uh, we did actually manage to get it on through the, the Senate and onto the desk of Chris Christie when he was governor and he vetoed it. Um, you would have thought now with um, Democrats in the House, we could get it onto Governor Murphy's desk, but we have to get it past our legislator and past Steve Sweeney. So it's, it's difficult. Yeah, and as we've discussed in uh, previous episodes of the podcast, if you want this bill to move, if you want to get a vote from the, the entire Senate or Assembly, you have to get it out of these committees. And these committee chairs uh, are named by Steve Sweeney. So if Steve Sweeney doesn't want these bills to move out of committee, he can threaten them with their committeeship. And this does happen. He does use this to keep them in line. Um, and NJA and the Norcross, the South Jersey Democrats, they're not friends right now, right, Christy? I don't seem to be right now. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a, they're going to head-to-head -head battle right now. Um, you know, um, I, I don't know what it is with South Jersey. Um, I, I think it's just, it's home of the machine. Um, we'd like to get rid of it down here, or at least try and find a way of working our way around it. Yeah, we should mention that uh, as an organization, NJ21 United is uh, united in our conviction that the ESP job justice bills and the chapter 70, 78 relief and any fight against path of progress, that these are all aspects of the same thing that yeah, um, any deal, any deal that doesn't involve the ESP is, is not a deal we're interested in. Right. I mean, we have to work together because the, the, the more fractured we are, the less we're going to achieve. So whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's an issue regarding certified staff or an issue regarding non-certified staff, we need to, we need to work together and we need to stay together. Um, there is power in numbers, there is um, great power in large numbers, and there are quite a few of us out there. So we have, to, we have to work together and understand that our jobs aren't the same, and we're not always fighting for the same thing. What we're fighting for is fairness. 
As Christy says, the ESP job justice legislation is essential legislation for our ESP brothers and sisters, and we see that right now in Patterson. We're joined tonight by uh, John McEntee from the Patterson Education Association, uh, who are currently embroiled in a battle with uh, the forces of privatization. Uh, John, thanks for coming on tonight. No problem. My pleasure. So can you start off, tell us a little bit about uh, Patterson. What, what kind of uh, district is Patterson? Uh, so Patterson is a very large school district. Um, we have about 30,000 students that we service on a daily basis. Uh, educationally speaking, we have approximately uh, 5,000 employees, 3,000 of which belong to the Patterson Education Association. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very diverse population. There are six different wards. Um, you know, our mayor is always touting the fact that we are probably one of the most diverse cities uh, in the state of New Jersey, if not in America. And uh, there's a, a lot of wonderful people that that um, make up the city. And uh, it's, it's, it's all in all, it's a great place to be a teacher. Challenging, but a great place. It's a, the student population is really large, right? Yeah, there's about 30,000 students altogether. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, I, I teach in Camden County, and my district is the largest by area in the entire state, but we only have like 5,000 kids. And then you guys have, you know, like 30,000, um, I'm sure, in a much smaller area. Um, so as far as uh, Patterson goes um, and the Education Association, you guys are inclusive, right? You have teachers, but you also have ESPs and, and more. Yep. So we are an all-inclusive teachers union. Um, uh, you know, we have everything from teachers, to IAs, PAs, secretaries, security guards. Uh, you know, we, we have it all. Uh, the only thing that we do not represent are the custodial staff and also the food service workers. They have their own, their own branch of their own union. And so you guys are currently battling privatization. So um, this is this a school funding issue? What, what's stemming this? Well, there's a lot of things stemming this. Obviously, funding. You know, during the Chris, you know, under the School Funding Reform Act of 20, uh, 2008, um, Chris Christie underfunded us by hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, S two kind of changed the, the the space a little bit for us uh, that Governor Murphy signed in recently. Uh, but you know, it's it's a lot more. Be, it's a lot more than that. You know, it's it's the implementation, or I, I call it the theft, of dollars from the public schools for the charter schools. Um, you know, millions of dollars are being funneled from the public schools budget every year, um, and they're going into the charter school population, and that is a, a constant drain. You know, the, the money doesn't come back with the students if they come back to the population of the public schools. So the charter schools are, to me, just as, maybe not as bad as being underfunded by hundreds of millions of dollars over the last, you know, X amount of years, but the, the charter schools are very problematic to what it is, to the bottom line. And, you know, you never see newspaper articles, at least in Patterson, with the charter schools struggling for school supplies and not having school nurses or security guards. You know, in fact, when Chris Christie came down my first year as president, we um, we had a big rally outside of one of the charter schools in Patterson. We were being watched in the streets by the state-of-the-art types of security cameras, you know, beautiful inside air conditioning, 
which is, you know, not very common in the public schools in Patterson, the public schools. Um, so it's, it's uh, a tale of two worlds, really, and it's unfortunate. Now, Patterson, I know, has a really high free and reduced lunch percentage. Um, their students have a, a, a large percentage of the students get free and reduced lunch. Um, with the funding issues, I know, like in Camden County, we have a lot of um, tax credit stuff going on where, where they've given away a lot of tax money to corporations that aren't bringing any tax revenue. Are you guys seeing anything like that in Patterson? So it's funny you bring that up, Adam, because through our division of the Uniserve with the NJEA, we are now starting to explore. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a little bit of a boom taking place in Patterson. Um, and through that boom, a lot of developers now are starting to build. And uh, it, it's our um, understanding that there are some tax credits or abatements that are going on and taking place. So we're right now in the process of trying to do a little bit more information finding on exactly who is getting these credits and how much and how and for how long uh, but that is definitely that is definitely a problem because if the if the school district is also being shortchanged through that process as well that creates an additional problem yeah that seems to be a common thread uh, around the state that uh, particularly in urban areas that they're giving away these abatements and these pilot payments and they're not collecting tax revenue and then when it comes to pay for the schools then they have no money yeah and they have not raised taxes in patterson at least not significantly uh in the last you know, couple of years i know there's always talking about raising it this that or the other and you know look nobody wants to be taxed more but if we're going to improve the school systems and if we're going to maintain uh the buildings and, and we have to i think at some point start taking a look at the tax structure as well as being part of the process that you know you can't tax your way out of this but if we're going to continually we can't keep going back to the same dry well we're not you know under s2 we did we were one of the winners on the rest too um i wouldn't necessarily call it a huge win but although it's you know 13 million dollars was a great start that governor murphy has sent to us uh, in the last last budget budget year um, but we're still hundreds of millions underfunded from where we need to be. So while while it's well appreciated the 13 million, you know, then there's other towns like like a Jersey City that, you know, they were not one of the winners under the S2 or Tom's River, you know, and they didn't do as well. So you know, the the whole system in the state seems to be a little bit a little bit broken in terms of the school funding. Um, I kind of wish they would have just followed the law and fully funded the schools like they should have been doing under the Constitution, but this is where we are, and um, it's going to take a lot of the lawmakers to come up with a strategy that's going to make sure that our children receive a thorough and efficient education. Yeah, it's important to mention that the, the full funding of the schools is in the New Jersey Constitution and is supported by New Jersey court cases. And even with the 2008 School Reform Act, they still never fully funded. Yeah, Governor Christie, you know, he, he just failed to do anything. And... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because in, in a city, I'm sure, like where you are and, and certainly in Patterson, you see still with schools that have le leaking roofs, schools that, you know, are, are crumbling, yet there isn't enough money to fix the schools. And then when you start talking about compensating your teachers as well, you know, you want to keep a competitive workforce in Patterson. We're, we have a very transient uh, population in terms of our staff as it is. 
And you want to make it enticing because these are challenging places to, to, to do business, uh, especially when you know that you're going to be receiving a pink slip every year. You know, who wants to take a job these days, whether you're coming from the private sector where maybe you had a little bit more job security, um, or if you're coming from a school district and you want to come down and, and, and attack a new challenge, who would want to leave a tenured position or even come out of school and say, let me go somewhere. And, but, you know, you're going to be unemployed by May. So it's um, very challenging. Yeah, and looking up, uh, I, I quickly looked up Patterson's um, state aid. According to uh, Education Law Center, you guys need uh, basically $528 million a year to get just adequacy, and you're currently receiving $439 million. So it's, it's a huge, even with us too, this is a huge shortfall that you guys are facing. Yeah, and when you compound that year after year after year after year since 2008, you know that that's plus the plus the charter school problem. And now when you mix in some of these abatements, it's really a system that's being designed to fail. And I'm not sure if that's what people behind the scenes are trying to do. You know, luckily we have state legislators like a Siobhan DeSumter and a Benji Wimberly that fight so hard. It's not not a bad thing either having Benji as a member when he's also an assembly person. So having him on our side has been, you know, a real breath of fresh air because he can he can speak at a lot of his meetings to make sure that Patterson is always in the forefront. And I'm and I'm certain through the good relations of, of, of Benji and Shivanda that it was part of the reason why we got the additional thirteen million dollars. They're fantastic advocates for our district. So let's turn to talking about what's currently going on. Can you just give us a quick overview of, of this privatization thing that they're currently involved in? Well, you know, this kind of started about a year ago. They brought in a company uh, called Ensight, And originally this company was brought in to replace the Department of Substitutes. You know, we used to just call up a number and there would be someone in a, in a sub office that would help. So they, they kind of did away with that process and brought this company in and they thought they'd save money. But what we started to find was that not only were they now starting to do the substitutes, but they were expanding a little bit. And through attrition, they were um, doing a lot of hiring now as, as for, for per, per diem subs to do a lot of the work that the IAs and PAs were doing. Uh, and the reason we found that out, ironically, is because we had some friends that were you know, resigning, retiring the whole, across the whole spectrum. And for the rest of the year, rather than post a position to hire, we would find that the kids had a different sub every single day. So we started to keep an eye on that. And these are people right now, so that, that group of people is about 190 of them. And, you know, they work solely for the group Insight. So they're a private entity. We don't have any control over who comes in every day or what they're paid. Uh, or if they're given health benefits at all, we're told not. Um, and then, you know, throughout the year, we started to hear rumblings of the remaining 750 plus IAs and PAs. There were board members that were having conversations behind closed doors, as well as some people that had a, that had a say in the matter, looking to do it to the other 700. So really, if you think about it, privatizing has already begun because after we made, uh, and coupled with that, let me back up a little bit, we, we made a complaint to the Educational Law Center that our students were, I can't recall the number off the top of my head, but they were thousands of hours behind 
in speech-related services. So the Education Law Center got involved, and they put a plan together to make sure that our students had the necessary staff available uh, to, to complete a lot of these hours that needed to be made up. So some of this started, I think, there. They didn't have the ability to staff you know, pay the health benefits, pay the salaries. So they were trying to do it, you know, a cheap Charlie job. Uh, so that kind of gave them a little bit more of some head of steam to make this now a plan that they're looking forward going. You know, look, in Patterson, if you are an IA or a PA, you make a very healthy salary. Um, you know, it's very, very competitive. These employees also have an outstanding health benefit package, no different than a certificated staff member. And these are, as I like to call them, the blue collar jobs. You know, Patterson Public Schools is the largest employer in the city of Patterson. And there are at least 50% of our ESPs or IAs and PAs, you know, all together, live, vote, work in the city of Patterson. So these are a lot of folks that, you know, would be impacted. And, and more than that, however, these staff members have children that also go to our school districts. So now, if they were to go through with a plan to privatize, not only would they be impacting their bottom line and taking blue-collar jobs away from our employees, but they would also, by default, now strip children who go to the school district of their health benefit plan, which our kids need. So, you know, really what's going on right now is that there's a proposal that we believe uh, pretty, we have very good information that told us that there's a proposal now that sits with the board to make a determination if they're going to move forward with a process to privatize these employees or not. You know, there's a lot of rumors out there, a lot of misinformation, some of which people have been saying, oh, I heard it's already a done deal. Well, that's not the case. You know, it's not a done deal. And I believe that the reason that we have made such progress as a union is because we got way out in the front of this. We wanted to make this publicly known we wanted to start organizing because we know that the budget is due to the county superintendent, not later than March 20th. So we really couldn't sit around and wait for someone to say, oh, by the way, tomorrow night they're meeting and they're going to be privatizing. So, you know, we're out in front of it. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. I, I know that we have board members up there that support us, support the community. I mean, look, these are board members that when they go to the barber shop or they go into the food shopping store, wherever they are, they, these are our neighbors. These are their friends that live in the city. They work in the city. They're ESPs. So, you know, we are, we are very confident that we're going to be able to, with a massive show of strength, kill this proposal before it even becomes much more. So without revealing anything that we, we couldn't reveal to, you know, non-members and things like that. What can you tell us about um, Patterson's response? Because a lot of people are going to listen to this are going to be NJA members and going to be, Patterson definitely has a reputation as being a local that has, you know, has its stuff together. So like, what can you tell us about how you guys are organizing around this, how you guys are mobilizing your members? What, what does that look like? Well, I can tell you that I have to start by saying I have an amazing team around me. You know, this, this is not John's plan. This is not, you know, I, I have some, first I'll start with my officers. I have six other officers. Um, you know, I have Charles Ferrer, Mary Chowhan, Gino Tortorello, Joyce Finelli, Lucretia Hodge, Ryan Cohen. 
these are folks that put in hours and hours and hours at the office. And when there are situations like this, there seems to be a fire at least once or twice a year, we bury ourselves in, in, in a room and we come up with a plan that we think is going to uh, fit whatever it is we're dealing with. So um, I, I start there. And, and then we have a set of executive board members. We have 30 executive board members who represent all the different various schools. We have about 50 action team members. So one of the things that we've done a little different uh, since I've become president through you know, the help of Ryan Cohen and Lucretia Hodge is we've put together an action team every year. And the action team basically becomes, uh, I like to call them the firemen and women because they put out fires as they come up. You know, every year there's something we seem to have to organize around. And a lot of, a lot of our plan stems upon pressure, putting maximum pressure on the folks that are decision makers to ensure that, you know, look, we'll ratchet it up as high as we have to to get to a place where there's some discussion and possibly, uh, you know, some some a victory for our members. I mean, we do this because we want to win, and you can't always win, and you can't always get everything you want, but you know, you, you got to get the board or the superintendent to a place where they understand there's going to be consequences if something happens, and you know. It, I'm not sure what our reputation around the state is. I know that we're just hardworking and, um, you know, like our friends in Jersey city and our friends around the state, I think that you know, there's power in numbers and, you know, Jersey city is the best example of all about what happens when your entire local is, is focused on one goal. I think there's a lot that can be accomplished. Uh, and it's just, it's really untapped power that we're not all using, whether we're a local of 75 or 7,500. You know, so, you know, we, we do our best to try to get ahead of things. I think trying to be a little proactive rather than reactive sometimes is helpful, especially in situations where there's so many jobs at risk. Um, but really, I mean, the organizing, the organizing itself is a lot of work, but I could not do it without great folks around me because there's a lot of moving pieces. You know, Lucretia Hodge and Ryan talked to me throughout the day 10, 15 times <laughs> you know, during their lunch period about, you know, what are we doing? How are we getting to this point? What are we, and, and a lot of it is too, is seeing what works and what doesn't and trying to be reactive to it. So, you know, if something's not working, sometimes you just got to scrap it and, and go with what you think works. Can you talk about any other battles that you've had in the past that you've uh, successfully fought off um, and how you did that? So we've, we've, I started off, as president, my first year, uh, I guess it was about five, six years ago now, and they came to me and they wanted to do away with our compound drug package. So we had, um, I'm sure you've heard of compound drugs and how expensive they are. Well, they, they had said that there were like 30 people using compound drugs that was costing the board like $38 million a year. So, you know, they saw fresh meat, I'm sure. They, they tried to get over on us and we drew a real hard bargain with them. To the point where, you know, without getting too deep into the details, to the point where we frustrated the board so much that we really got to keep the compound drugs, although they didn't realize it at the time. But we also got out of the board two family illness, a family illness day. We got seniority for our ESPs. Uh, we got a whole laundry list of things that we were able to negotiate. You know, and, and I kind of, 
I hate to say it, but sometimes you got to negotiate like it's life or death. And, and I think that every time that we get into these situations, we know that for some folks, it could be, especially when you're telling folks that they might not get a prescription any longer. So you know, we've, we fought that off, obviously. You know, there's some people may know, some may not. I was brought up a year later on tenure charges, um, which, you know, we fought that off. We won. Uh, that was basically just a situation where I was, along with my field rep from NJEA, going in and defending members in a way that I don't think the vice principal was, was too used to. You know, sometimes they think that people are just going to come in and, and sit down and you know, thank you, thank you, may I please have another. Well, that's not how we roll at PEA. You know, when we come in as a union delegate, our union hat is on, period, full stop. And we're going we're gonna to act aggressive if need be, but we're certainly going to be professional, but we're not going to sit there and roll over. And I don't think that, that the vice principal knew what was coming as a result, you know, and it, it blew up into something that I don't necessarily think it needed to. And it was very shortly after we had just taken a no confidence vote in our, in our superintendent who was appointed by Governor Christie, but that's a whole nother story. So there was politics involved, but that was certainly something that we, we fought back and won. Um, you know, we negotiated a pretty decent contract. Certainly it's not to the, to the uh, likes of a Jersey city where they got what I call the premium of all premium three, four, and five. But, um, we did a fairly decent job there. We had to organize around that contract. That wasn't just, you know, the negotiating team going in. We built up slowly but steady, you know, and a lot, a lot of what we do too is we try to get our members in a place where we ask them to do small things first because it's a culture shock when you just come in and say, hey, we're doing this tomorrow. And, and people say, I'm not walking outside. I'm not doing this. So we try to do small little things like wear a color first or we'll ask them to wear a pin, you know, just low level things. And then you, we slowly but surely start to build up to more aggressive, to more aggressive actions. Um, and, and as more people start to come along, more people start to feel comfortable with, with the different actions as they start to escalate. Um, so we did a pretty decent job with the contract. Last year, they changed our, our health benefits plan to a company uh, called Liberty Benefit, and they came in and completely, completely destroyed. They went to a self-insured plan, took us out of the state plan, and if I had 2,000 calls two, three months after, that, that's the low end of what was going on. So people weren't getting their medicines, they weren't getting their drugs, they weren't getting the doctor care, bills. I'm still trying to deal with bills who were, that were unpaid, even though we're in a new plan now. And we, and we started to escalate the actions. You know, we showed up at a board meeting with about 900 people, all with 24 by 36 signs saying Blue Cross Blue Shield now or whatever, whatever the slogan was. Um, and we won. You know, we fought, that, we fought that back and we won, not only through actions, but through good relations with some of the board members that we've come to work pretty well with. So there's been a lot of, it seems like every year there's something major. And as I sit, sit here starting to think about it, a lot of these things that we're fighting about have to do with large, large amounts of money. And the district is always trying to get it for cheaper. They're always trying to, you know, pull a fast one. But I would say all in all, we may not have the best Chapter 78 relief in the state, but I, I do know that 
if you take a look at our contract book, and it's believe me, no, no, it's nothing that I've done. It's something I've inherited from a, a fantastic president who's a legend, Pete Thierry. You know, our contract book has to be two, three hundred pages thick of protections that I, I know in a lot of the places around New Jersey are not, they're, they're just not in that book. They're not in, that, in whatever contract. Our, our contract book is so big that when we print it at the end of each contract, it usually costs between thirteen dollars and $14,000 to get it to everyone. So it just goes to show that I've stepped into a position where, you know, there were legends here before me, and we're just trying to continue some of the great work that already has existed in our local. Yeah, that's great. Um, so if people around the state want to help out, what can they do to uh, like people like me down at two hours away in South Jersey? What, what are the kinds of things that we can do to, to support you guys? Well, you know, um, I guess wherever you're, wherever you reside around the state, if you're looking to assist in this particular issue, you know, you can certainly write postcards possibly to the board members. You could call the board offices. Uh, at 973-321-0980. That's the superintendent's line. You could certainly um, demand that whatever proposals are in the budget or preliminary budget to privatize or remove. Um, you know, and you, you could you could find the school board members' email addresses on their Patterson Public School website. You could certainly send them emails. Um, but I, I have found that a lot a lot of times the best type of help we could we could get from members is, is that is that support. So if there are folks who are in the vicinity of Patterson that can come out and support us on March 11th, we are having a uh, gathering before the board meeting. We're beginning at five o'clock and we, you know, we certainly would would welcome anyone who, who can come out and join us uh, because it's really important that I think not only do we support each other, but that we, we help each other in times of need when these locals are, are down and out. So, because there's power numbers, just power numbers, and there's nothing better than seeing some of your sisters and brothers coming from all different parts of the state, you know, con, con, converging on a, on a goal. Because when you really think about it, while we work in separate districts around the state, we really are all one union. And it's, it's about time that all 200,000 of us put our heads together and say, you know, we, we can fight we can do anything when we're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the message of this podcast. So I'm glad to hear you say that. All right. So uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight and talking about uh, all your organizing stuff. We're, we're going to definitely uh, keep an eye on what's going on in Patterson and, and support any way we can. Fantastic. It was my pleasure. So now we've heard from two local leaders, authentic leaders of our union about what they're doing to fight for ESPs, and more importantly, what it takes to do that. We, we heard from Christy about how we all have to work together, ESPs and classroom teachers. We're all united here as union brothers and sisters. And John talked about how uh, they've used the organizing process to, to get the word out to their members, to uh, aggressively confront the threats to not just teachers, but to ESPs as well. And that's something that we need to, as a state, I think, we need to. that's a lesson we need to learn, that when we work together, that we can accomplish anything we can make anyone do anything we face the same challenges around the state uh, tax abatements funding problems privatization all of these problems are in common around the state and they require a common response from all of us 
which is why NJ21 United has sponsored a statewide summit. It's on March 14th at Highland Park, uh, at the Reformed Church of Highland Park. It's going to be from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, we need everyone to be there. Every local's got to have a representative. Every county's got to be represented. It's a rank-and-file summit, so you don't need to be a local president. You just need to be a member. Come join your union family and talk about how we're going to stop all the things that they're doing around the state. Thanks for being here with us on The Common Good. We'll see you next time. Tell me how you can. Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Don't scab for the bosses. Don't listen to their lies. Us poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize. Which side are you on?